Well, good morning, church. Good morning. I want to welcome our campuses in New Milford, Waterbury, Derby, and online. You know, if you're new or visiting, we just want to say welcome to you. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today, and we pray that you will be blessed. Uh, my name is Adam DePasquale. And I am Carrie DePasquale. And today we are co-preaching together. Yes. <laughs> I think this may be the most courageous thing we do all year long. What Absolutely. do you think? Yeah. <laughs> you know, in all seriousness, though, you know, today we're talking about a really important topic, and it's a topic that's being contested. It's a topic that's under a lot of pressure in today's world. You see, we're talking about relationships with significant others, and this includes both married relationships and dating relationships, and much of what we share today can be applied to friendships as well. You know, Jesus' desire is that we experience abundant life in our relationships, but there's a challenge. You see, in John 10, 10, he said this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I just want you to let that sit in for a minute. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, right? And so Jesus was pointing out that there are all these negative influences in the world today, right? Whether it be our own sin warring within us, whether it be aspects of the world around us, or even evil in the spiritual realm. And at times, they're all working to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus' mission, his purpose, his calling, his desire, is that we experience life, life to the full, which means an even greater life than you're experiencing now. And that's good news. It is good news. And this abundant life is for everyone on the planet, including approximately 100 million native German speakers around the world, including our own Picard family and as well as others. And German is the official language in six nations, but regularly spoken in additional 14 countries, including a small percentage of the country of Namibia. Now here's a bit of trivia for you, Adam. Okay. Okay. What percentage of tourists Visiting the U.S. each year, speak German. Good question. I have to say 25%. You're still looking at <laughs> <laughs> So let's learn abundant life in German together. Let's do it. Now, if we get this right, it will literally mean life in abundance. If we get this wrong, according to my Google Translate history, it could mean life in fountain pens. So we want to try and get this right. So... <laughs> Let's get everybody all together, including all of our campuses and those online. You ready? Yeah, we're ready. All right, here it is. Wish me luck, Miriam. Leben in Fülle. Leben in Fülle. Okay, that's good. Let's start it again. Leben in Fülle. Leben in Fülle. All right, nice job. All right, great job. <laughs> We've been practicing on our Google Translate at home with our kids. And I tell you, it's, that, it's the German umlaut that is so challenging. Just get that right. But, you know, today we're talking about relationships. You know, and from the beginning of the creation story, we see that God made us in his image as relational beings. And that means that we have the blessing of not only being in relationship with him, but being able to have relationship with each other. And that's God's idea. You see, in Genesis 2, we read that God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. Up to that point, everything else he had created had been good. But here there was something missing. And so God said, I will make a helper suitable for him. And that Hebrew word for helper is azer, which is used throughout the Old Testament to actually to describe God as he came and helped his people, as he came to their rescue. 
And so perhaps a better word for us to use today to understand this concept would be the word ally. See, God made an ally for Adam. Or perhaps as I like to think of it, God made a strategic partner in accomplishing his, his mission to be fruitful and multiply and steward the earth. I kind of like that. Yeah. Sounds like a James Bond relationship. Yeah. We're like lovers and spies. We're traveling the world on a dangerous mission. Let's go. Let's go. Let's All do right. it. <laughs> Seriously, though, this capacity for relationship is arguably God's greatest gift to us on earth, right? It really is because the operating system of the kingdom of God is relationship. All of our ministry and all of our life flows out of relationship. And so doesn't it make sense that one of the most contested areas in life would be relationships? And so today we want to focus on relationships and how we can experience abundant life in them. Now listen, in preparation for today's message, we reached out to a number of professionals within our community here so we could get some greater insight. And so I want to say I'm grateful for Jean Lubis, the, Christian, uh, the director of the Christian Counseling Center, for Nero Feliciano and Dushante Sachi, both psychotherapists who are part of our community. I'm grateful for Neil and Eva Tan and Bob and Nakumi, who have involved, been involved with marriage ministry for so many years. You know, all together, these folks have like a collective 100 years plus of experience supporting marriages and relationships. And so we've incorporated quite a bit of what they shared with us into today's message. You know, we want to start by saying that if you're in a romantic relationship, no matter what the condition of it might be, there is hope. And also, the Lord desires even greater abundance in your lives. And if you're single, separated, divorced, or widowed, I just want to say to you that you are not lacking the Lord is with you. He is by your side. There's a great calling upon your life to arise and shine. And you're part of this beautiful community that loves you. And there are principles that we're going to share today that you can apply to your friendships. So here's the question. What is actually stealing, killing, and destroying relationships today? We're going to share with you a top 10 list that emerged from the various conversations we had. And as we read them to you, I want you to think about your relationship, and I want you to think about your part in that relationship. Give yourself a, a score. So number one, this is kind of like a top 10 list. What's that uh, game show? Family Feud. Family Feud, right? So here we go. Survey said top 10 things that are stealing, killing, and destroying relationships today. Number one, lack of communication. You know, across the board, each person we spoke with shared that as communication breaks down in a relationship, it becomes increasingly vulnerable. Amazingly, on one extreme side, Dushanti shared with us that in today's culture, it's not unpopular or not uncommon to, be, to experience ghosting. And this is actually where after a few months of dating or even eight months or even up to two years, a partner will suddenly and completely cut off all communication with the other person. You can imagine how painful that is, right? But trouble with communication can also look like the inability to talk openly and honestly with your partner about things that matter in your life or about how you feel your relationship is going. And so, you know, our society's increasingly a lack of ability to communicate effectively is actually very troublesome. Mm. Number two on the list is comparison. Social media provides yet another avenue where jealousy, greed, and lust can lead us to compare our spouse or partner with someone else, maybe an old high school flame or something. But then we're forgetting about all the wonderful things that drew us to the person in our life to begin with, and forgetting always that the grass is never greener on the other side. And comparison is a disease that's just really killing our contentment. Number three, the top 10 things that are stealing, killing, and destroying, disconnection and busyness. 
You know, this came up time and time again. Neil and Eva Tan called it drift. If we're not being intentional, if our relationships are on cruise control, then over time, we're going to naturally begin to disconnect and drift. And this may be fine for a while, but Nero was sharing with us that all of a sudden, a crisis hits, or all of a sudden, a challenge emerges, or even a new opportunity, and that couple realizes just how far they've become from each other. And so drifting makes us incredibly vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Number four on the list is lack of commitment. Our, large, our uh, culture largely discourages commitment in general. And as soon as things aren't fun, as soon as things get hard, as soon as you do something to mess up, I'm out of here. And Deshanti was sharing with us how prevalent the swipe culture is in, in relationships today. And how dating apps have brought about some amazing relationships, some I'm sure are in this room, but they've also created a mindset that relationships are disposable and that you can just choose another partner when you go shopping when you want one. And we need to relearn that beauty and joy actually come out of longevity and adversity and that that grit is what holds us together. Mm -hmm. Amen. Number five on our top 10 list of things that are stealing, killing, and destroying relationships Financial stress. You know, few things can steal a relationship of joy faster than financial pressure. And we just want to say that if you're experiencing that today and you need help learning how to talk with each other about it, we've got a lot of resources, including just our pastors who would love to sit with you and help you through that. Mm -hmm. Number six on the list is unforgiveness. Bob and Nakumi commented that unforgiveness left alone turns into bitterness and resentment, and that absolutely kills, steals, yeah. kills, and destroys. Yeah. Number seven, lack of common purpose. The Tons noted that they particularly see this as an issue in couples in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, perhaps after the kids have left the home. I sure hope our kids have left the home by 70. Absolutely. <laughs> or maybe after that couple has retired. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's truth. And together, you know, that couple needs to reestablish a shared mission and vision together. Otherwise, they're going to be vulnerable. Now, listen, I want to pause there for a moment. Just ask yourself, are any of those already kind of touching your heart? And you're thinking, man, we might be vulnerable there, right? Number eight, substance abuse. According to a 2022 report from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, 17% of people 12 or older wrestled with substance abuse in 2022. That's about one in six of us, right? That's a lot. And the truth is that addictions wreak havoc on relationships. And so if you or your partner are struggling, we want to encourage you to seek help. Don't wait. And there's so many wonderful ministries. We have one called Celebrate Recovery. It meets on Thursday nights. Get involved with that. Mm -hmm. Number nine, unfortunately, is domestic violence. A report published by the CDC indicated that about one in four women and about one in ten men are going to have experienced domestic violence in their lifetime by an intimate partner, and that's just heartbreaking and heart-crushing. Violence in the home is never okay. And our care ministry is equipped to walk alongside you and point you to the resources and the, um, what you, just for what you need and what's available out in the world um, to help you get some help, whether you're a victim of abuse or you're on the flip side of that. So please, before anyone else gets help. Mm. Before anyone else gets hurt, yeah. get help. <laughs> and uh, number 10 on our top list of things that are stealing, killing, and destroying relationships, infidelity. You know, Gene Lubis shared with us that there absolutely is a pathway for couples to come back together if they're willing to be honest with each other, 
and about those issues in their lives, if they're willing to offer forgiveness and rebuild trust. And so we just want to say to you, if you're walking through that right now, talk to someone, see a counselor. And by all means, if you're currently cheating on someone, whether that be emotionally or physically, the Lord would say to you, stop it. You don't have to question what the right decision is. It's stop it. The Lord says stop. So how did you feel as we shared that list with you? Were there a few things in there that you thought, wow, I'm doing that really well? And then were there a few things in there you thought, I think I could do that better, or maybe a lot better? Mm. You know, that's natural, right? Because we're not perfect. We're not perfect at all. But relationships are at the heart of the kingdom of God. And whether it be from our own sinfulness, warring within, or influences of the world, or even evil in the spiritual realm, they are being contested. Mm. But there is good news. Because Jesus wants to bring life and hope into your life today. He wants to bring greater abundance. And so let's turn to the Lord now. Ask him for help. We'll turn to his word as well. But join me in a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you for this gift of relationships. Lord, it was your idea. And so today we turn to you and we ask that you would speak to us, Lord. Open our minds. I pray you touch our hearts. I imagine your finger right now just touching our hearts opening our hearts. Lord, renew our spirits. Lord, we pray that by your power, we would experience greater freedom today, renewal, hope, joy, blessing. And unequivocally, Lord, we're asking for greater abundance in our relationships for your glory. Amen. 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 As an introduction to today's passage, I want to tell you how Adam and I met. So we met as kids attending Walnut Hill Community Church. I was 10 years old, Adam was 11, and I saw him across the parking lot at Brookfield High School, and those big blue eyes, and we started dating in high school and uh, continued dating into college. You can see the pictures up there. <laughs> oh, gosh. And um, <laughs> uh, we, after dating for six years, we finally got married after the, the, at the ripe old age of 21 and 22. <laughs> and um, when we got engaged, at the time, we were in Tennessee. We were going to school in Tennessee, and the man who was uh, going to officiate our ceremony was living in Colorado. And so we were doing premarital counseling over the phone. And just to stop and say, if you are in a long-term relationship, you're considering engagement, considering marriage, please invest in definitely do premarital counseling. It's such a great investment for getting off on the right foot in your relationships. But for anyhow, we were doing it over the phone, and back then, way back when, it was a, it was a good 15 cents a minute. Yeah. And so uh, in order to save some money, our pastor said, well, why don't you go to a conference on marriage, and uh, they'll hit all these topics that I want to hit with you guys, but that will save time and money. And so we did do that. And um, I remember there were like two days of sessions and on the second day during the dinner meal break, it was supposed to be a date night. And so you were working your way up to this date night and you were learning all these tools about communication and such so that you could have this great date night. And um, we spent the entire date night in the car, not for the reason you think. <laughs> we were fighting the entire time. <laughs> I think it was the worst argument we've ever been up to a point. Up to that point, it was the worst. But So obviously, we had to talk about something. I don't even remember what it was, but it drudged up something that we needed to talk about. Um, so I just 
One of the things that Doug also wanted us to do was find some scripture to be the basis of his homily. And so I really wanted to find something that was going to encapsulate um, kind of like what was our marriage mission statement? What was it that we were really wanting um, our marriage to be based on? And as I was going through scripture, I came across Philippians 2, the scripture read today, and I thought, this is it. This is what really encapsulates what it means to be a follower of Christ as an individual and then also to bring into a marriage. What a great, you know, base plan. But I want to remind you that, you know, Paul was writing to the entire church of Philippi, whether they were married or not. This was how we're supposed to live our life as believers. And so we wanted to experience abundance in our relationship. And in order to do that, we needed to have the right posture. And I like to picture like runners when they're starting in the starting blocks, you know, they're down in that position that's going to give them an optimum advantage to taking off in their race. And so the chapter starts with this phrase, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, Paul was reminding the church in Philippi that what united them was not language, it was not race, it was not politics, it was not socioeconomic levels, but what united them was Christ and his commandments and his teachings. To love the Lord our God and to love each other as ourselves. And for Adam and I, this was gonna be our starting point. Christ in the center with either one of us on either side. And so number one is Christ's followers our posture and stance in all of our relationships is to have Jesus and his teachings at the center. So many th other things take his place in our relationships. Fin the search for financial security, raising families, our careers, our school, and all of those things and all decisions should pass through Christ and his teachings. And the passage continues, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of others. There is a call away from selfish ambition and vain conceit to number two, humility and valuing others above yourself. And as human beings, that's a hard challenge. You know, our natural human development starts with us becoming self-aware and learning how to take care of ourselves at, you know, being children. And then, you know, we're starting, we're self-centered at self-centered. And then as we grow, we should increasingly become more aware of the needs of others and become others-centered. Now, early on in our marriage with Philippians 2 in mind, wanting to be one in spirit and of one mind, meaning we wanted to be on the same page, we wanted to be starting off on the same page. Ads and I committed to a few rules. And in the area of communication, we said we wanted to be honest with one another and to assume positive intentions. So I had to learn to take Adam at his word, that he had the best of intentions behind his actions and words. And then I had to learn how to communicate what I meant, that I would say what I mean, that when he said, how you doing, and I said, fine, 
that I meant I'm fine. There was nothing else there. I'm just fine. You know, it requires humility and vulnerability to share openly and honestly with your partner and trust that there's not going to be judgment or rejection in, as a response. That is so hard. And yet, it's vital and key to abundant life. Second, from a place of valuing one another above ourselves, we committed to guarding each other's backs. You know, back to that illustration of Christ in the center with Adam and I on either side, or I guess Christ in the center and Adam and I on the other side. I look through Christ to see Adam, and he looks through Christ to see me. And what's awesome is that I now can give myself the opportunity to see him as God sees him. And also, I get to see what's coming up behind his back. So I can protect him. I can guard his back. And he does the same for me. He protects me and he guards my back. And what that looks like is that, you know, we speak well of each other in public. And we don't make fun of each other in front of others to make ourselves look good. And that was certainly my MO in the beginning of our marriage, in our relationship. And what that also means to us is that when we have conflict and when we have issues, we talk to each other first about it before seeking advice from other people. You know, like, I think that goes across the board, right? You know, I can tell my 12, my 13-year-old my daughter now that with her friends, she's got a beef with someone, she talks to them about it first before we start talking to everybody else about it. That's so important. In addition, you've heard the term, don't, don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't go to bed angry. And we definitely learned hard way that after 10 o'clock, just shut it down. Just don't have any conversations after 10 o'clock that are going to be hard because we're too tired and we're just, it's just going to be a mess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. I hope you took notes on that one. <laughs> you know, Paul continues in the passage and he writes this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, Paul is not being poetic or abstract here. He's saying in all of our relationships, we're to have the same mindset as Jesus. Okay, what was Jesus' mindset? It says here that he made himself nothing and he became a servant, even to the point of dying for us. So church, if we want to experience abundant life in our relationships, our actions need to reflect the same as Jesus' mindset. And in this case, that means serving our significant other rather than serving our own agendas. You know, the original Greek word for serve in verse 7 is doulos, a servant. It means devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. And this is so countercultural in relationships today. It's almost hard to think of an example of it, right? But in our marriage vows, so often we talk about for better or for worse. And so oftentimes we see this example of this selfless servant when a spouse gets sick, Right? Sometimes we'll see the other partner take this season of selflessly caring for the other person. And can you think of anyone in your mind who you've seen that happen before? It's inspiring, right? It's powerful. It's almost otherworldly. When you're in their midst, it's like you're experiencing the presence of the Lord. 
you know, sometime last year, Carrie shared her testimony of having gone through a prolonged season of depression. And I'm saddened to say that it took that kind of season for me to recognize just how selfish I was. And by God's grace, I'm grateful for the changes that took place inside of me. But I wish it hadn't have taken a hardship in her life for me to have changed. I really feel like that's a word that someone needs to hear today. Don't wait for your spouse to go through a hard time before you have to change. You know, there are so many ways that you can serve your significant other. Just ask the Lord sincerely, how can I serve my spouse? How can I serve my partner or my friend? I promise you the Lord is going to tell you. But in addition to serving in verse 2, Paul instructs us to love one another like Christ. You know, in our culture, it's just too popular to talk about love in terms of emotions and feelings. And listen, emotions and feelings are fantastic. But the original Greek word here for love is agape. And it refers to affection, yes, but really it's about goodwill and benevolence and charity. You see, agape is the love that moved God the Father to send his son for our sins. It's sacrificial love. We're talking about love in action. Choosing to love by what we do. Not waiting for the feelings, but actually choosing to do that. It's interesting, in America, we talk a lot about falling in love, but Nero is sharing with me that in cultures where marriages are arranged, you often find that the actions of love, even between two strangers, will produce the feelings of love. It's that powerful. Now, I want you to think about your relationship for a moment as I read to you from 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's an inspiring passage, right? It's also challenging. Think about the way that you love your spouse or your partner or your friends. Would you say that your actions most often are coming from patience and kindness and forgiveness? Or would you say that too much envy is in there or pride or even self-righteousness? You see, the love that Paul is talking about can only come from God working in and through us. And experiencing abundant life in our relationships has to start by being so connected with the Lord that his love naturally and even supernaturally flows through us. We need to choose to love. And this can include some very simple things, right? We can choose to celebrate anniversaries well, right? Buy flowers. We can choose to put our cell phones away and plan a date night, even if it's at home, so that you can connect and have fun with your significant other. You know, today we learned how to say abundant life in German. I was talking with Miriam Picard, and she was sharing with me that in Germany, they love vacations. They get like six weeks off. And so they love to travel. They love to slow down. They love to connect and have fun, even take long walks together. Right? There's a lot we can learn from them. But choosing to love also means that the, we need to allow the Lord to change our hearts. A few weeks ago on a Friday night, Carrie and I were getting ready to leave our workplaces, and I received a call from her followed by a series of pictures of her car damaged. <laughs> it was one of those crazy fluke moments where she was backing out of a parking spot and didn't see something in her blind spot and it crunched the car. But you know, as she shared with me in that moment, I could feel my body tense up and some critical words coming to my mind. Has that ever happened to you before? I think it has based on the laughter. 
But here's the thing. Then I, gen- I immediately felt this gentle presence of the Lord come upon me. And I perceived in that moment that I had a choice. And then I perceived the grace to make that choice, which was amazing. Almost like you're driving on the highway and there's an exit ramp and you're like, I can get off now if I want to. I want to tell you, in that moment, I could have said something stupid like I've done so many times before. Or I could decide to give her the grace that I know God gives me every day. Or the grace that I would want to receive from her. I am so thankful for the Lord's presence in that moment that paused me long enough to choose love and express my empathy. You know, as we were working to have the car repaired, Carrie made a comment to me how much she appreciated the way the two of us spoke to each other in that tense moment. She had noticed, right? Praise God. You know, I don't always get it right, but I want to say this to you. The way we respond to each other in the everyday moments of life are really important. And those moments of choosing love are actually what bring about great abundance. You know, are you choosing to love your spouse or significant other by the actions that you make every day? You know, I, um, I used to drive home backwards from the bus stop when I'd pick the kids up after school. It's a very short distance. Um, and I would always do the Mater voice from the Cars movie, you know, the, I'm the best backwards driver there is. I can't say that anymore. <laughs> Not allowed. <laughs> in addition to being on the same page in regards to postures and actions, our words matter. Going back to our scripture reading today, Paul wrote, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. It's another great picture of a rise and shine. Do everything, everything, without grumbling or arguing. Having the same mindset of Christ in our relationship means our words change. Oftentimes our homes are full of unspoken words that get turned to bitterness and resentment, or our homes are full of warring words which lead to arguments and hurt. Listen to James 3, 9 through 10. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We could really chew on that one for a while, couldn't we? Especially when we look at our society today. The words being used. Where are you getting your words from? So how do we combat words that steal, kill, and destroy? Mark Patterson wrote a book last year called Please, Sorry, and Thanks. And that three words that change everything. And in his book, he proposes that those words, please, sorry, thanks, will bring abundance to our life and the life of those around us. When we choose to speak these words authentically, they change us before they leave our mouths and they change the room, please. Today we use this when we're politely making a request. Did you know the word please is derived from the phrase, if you please, or the phrase, if it pleases you? Notice that the magic word is all about the other person. 
It is not do this thing because it would please me. We are being vulnerable to ask for whatever it is, the garbage being taken out, or spending more time together, or for an acknowledgement of the pain that we're currently in. And by using the word please, because we're giving the other person the choice to reject our request, it creates a level playing field. Now, in addition to the aforementioned rules that we had talked about in our marriage, at some point I had an epiphany. Adam is a whole separate person for me. Like, he can do whatever he wants. And when I say please, it magically makes this separate being do things he wasn't doing before. Most of the time. Most of the time, most of the time. But now, he doesn't have to. It's not a literal magic word. There is no compulsion because he has a choice. He can respond in any way he wants. So when I say thank you, I'm recognizing that he didn't have to do this thing that he just did. And I'm grateful for that action. And that's just a great place to start to encourage and bless the people in your life. There are no supposed tos. And we should say thank you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, just like if it pleases you or I'm grateful, sorry is also a feeling. Sorry, feeling distress, especially through sympathy with someone else's misfortune or feeling regret or penitence over something we've done. And we should apologize. In my apology, I don't just say sorry. It is my sorry that causes me to say, I'm sorry. But someone has to make the first move. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Words have power. And what do the words in your relationship sound like? We've been practicing those words, please, sorry, and thanks. And I can say that they do make a difference. So I encourage you to try them out. You know, in speaking about the power of words, there's power in prayer. There are so many studies that have been done about the positive impact of couples praying together or reading the Bible together or going to church together. I want to simply say this. When we pray with or for our spouse, we're investing ourselves into that relationship and it has impact. When we pray together, we're creating space for God to speak to us and actually change our hearts. When we pray together, God hears, and we get the blessing of experiencing his presence together and actually seeing how he's gonna respond to those requests we bring to him. You know, I wanna encourage you to pray with and for your significant other. I wanna encourage you to open the Bible together. I wanna encourage you to worship together. It absolutely will have impact. You know, church, the Lord wants us to experience greater abundance in our relationships, but there are very real things at play working to steal, kill, and destroy them. If we want to arise and shine, if we want to experience this greater abundance, then we have to be intentional. We can't go on autopilot, and we need to ask the Lord for help. You can start by choosing the right posture. Center your relationships on Jesus. Value your partner above yourself. 
Then model the actions of Jesus. Serve each other. Show your love to each other by the choices that you make. And then recognize that your words matter. Try please, sorry, and thanks. And make time for each other. Pray together. Read scripture. Worship together. And seek help if you need it. There are so many resources out there. You know, on May 4th, we're going to be hosting the powerful XO Marriage Conference right here at Walnut Hill. You can stay tuned for more information. But here's a very practical next step. We're going to be starting the marriage course on February 29th. It's a seven-session course that's going to take place over Zoom, which means that you can do it from home, right? It offers practical tools and tips on how you can strengthen your marriage. We just want to give you a glimpse of what that's going to look like. We're going to play a short video. Marriage involves two people. They meet. You found me really attractive, really quickly. <laughs> they fall in love. She's passionate. <laughs> they get married and embark on a relationship that's designed to be one of increasing intimacy. I really couldn't see my life without her. But that's not automatic. We have to keep working at our marriage. Because I wasn't getting much affirmation, I started getting that from other places. Our marriage was nearly over. If you start building good habits in your relationship, you'll be reaping the effects of those choices in 5, 10, or 20 years' time. I can't let my past define my future. We have to build our own reality. The aim of the marriage course is to strengthen the connection between you as a couple. Love grows us. This is not a silly sentimental idea. This is science fact. How about one that we don't really hear about? How about this one? Fun. Marriage ought to be fun. If you're not having fun, what's the point? The marriage course is built on universal principles that are relevant to any couple anywhere. In years to come, you'll look back on having built a marriage as perhaps the most important achievement of all in your lives. Amen. You know, Carrie and I went through the marriage course together and it was excellent. I have a challenge for you. If you're married... Why not take a bold step of faith and use that please word and ask your spouse to go with you? It will definitely have an impact. Listen, we pray that today's message has been a blessing to you, and we pray that the Lord will use it to bring greater abundance in your relationships. Amen.